Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So, how you guys been? Terrible. This has been no, not actually. <laughs> no, we're starting to open up churches though. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah, we're we're doing it. We have outside masses coming up next weekend, and then we'll do some daily masses, where we're gonna keep live streaming everything. But then we'll have drive-through communion, which we'll see how that works. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I I just don't think we're we're confident to open up the church yet because of all the mm. we need items manpower right uh, cleaning supplies and all that stuff before we can really do it and we just we don't know we don't have enough stuff so tbd right. on that yeah yeah and the volunteers too you need yeah our uh conditions for opening up even for weddings and baptisms funerals and confession we're like a core team of six and at least three quote ushers slash bouncers at the door, um, making sure everybody's staying six feet apart. You mark the pews out and yeah, it's pretty, pretty serious. Yeah. It's going to take a lot of work. And I mean, it's tough because the majority of people who usually volunteer for church stuff are ha- right. I don't know how to say this, but people older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're trying to get some young folks to step in and do the ushering and put their, put their lives on the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm excited for it. I'm glad. Yippers. What about yeah, you? Well, you're in my province then, Rob, right? So. Yep. Um, yeah, no, doing good. We are, we're distributing communion now um after masses so there's not like uh masses are uh still sine popolo so without a congregation but after mass as long as we you know adhere to the um no more than 10 you know person groups and and all that then we are able to distribute communion so we did that last weekend i thought it went very well it was very moving um to so we did it outside we had stations and people were we did it saturday night and sunday morning and it was great like families would kind of come up together and they just stay in their cars and you know um you had to wear a mask and be social distance and all that stuff and then if there's a little low like you know another another little group or family would come come up and man it was cool. It was good to see people. And, um, you know, they didn't linger at all, but just to say a quick hey after receiving and um, very powerful. I'll never, ever forget it. Um, I mean, it was literally pouring down rain when we came out of mass on Saturday night. Wow. And we were, you know, had everything ready. We had our stations ready and like easy up tents. And so I go out there um, and I mean, here just, you know, it literally in the pouring down rain, here comes um, the first people that received or a family I know pretty well. And it was, it was powerful, powerful stuff. Just an image that like, I never thought I would 
have, um, but it'll be with me forever for sure. Uh, a couple people were just, I mean, literally like weeping, um, receiving. And so it was very, very cool. Um, and it's certainly okay, you know, that people weren't and everything. Some people just kind of came through and, um, received and said, thanks. And, um, but just, yeah, how many people came was absolutely awesome. So that was good. And we're going to do that again this weekend and just trying to watch close, like, you know, when the, the States, um, you know, what the, uh, the governor's office does on, on stuff and everything. So, but really glad that people are able to receive, um, no Sunday obligation still, obviously. So, um, if people aren't comfortable or right, like, you know, anyone that's susceptible, um, is encouraged to, you know, kind of hold to the Eucharistic fast and everything, but it was, it was very cool. It's very powerful. It was a good week. And so did that on Sunday. And then I went to new pastors workshop, which was like kind of good and overwhelming at the same time. It's like, I got a lot to, to learn, um, sure. on that, but very encouraging. Just a couple, um, you know, like very good veteran priests from our diocese were there with us pretty much the whole, the whole time. And, um, our vicar, General Father Chris is, house there, he came and did a, uh, yeah, just some, like some canon law stuff from the, from the chancery for, so it's great to see him. And, uh, then our vicar general and vicar priest are both just like really, really good, really good guys and did a good job of, it's, I just laughed a couple of times in prayer about it. Cause it's like, Hey, here's all the stuff that like comes up as a pastor and here's who to, who to call if this happens and that happens. And I felt like our, just the whole time, like having those veterans with us, it was cool because it would be like, okay, here's a bunch of overwhelming stuff or like, this might happen. This might happen. This might come across your desk, but like, Hey, bring it back to like your identity as a priest in Jesus Christ. And like, here's another just onslaught of stuff, you know, and okay, now let's bring it back to your identity in as a priest of Jesus Christ. And so it's good. Um, it was, it was very good and got the call on Wednesday. We were talking, I know before, but uh, Focus Missionaries will be on campus in the fall. So that was great and um, great news there. So doing good, um, <laughs> but my life is... My life. Know, it, it's going to... A lot of, lot of change a coming, you know, change. It's a coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm moving in like about a month. Says. And, Right. Yeah. So doing good. That's awesome right. to hear, dude. So remind me again, I know as your friend, I should know this, but you're, you're taking on an additional parish and staying at the Newman Center or are you? Yeah. The yeah, parish yeah. That you're at? No. So the parish that I'm at is um, I, I'm so I'm leaving here on as the parochial vicar on July one and I'm moving to a parish maybe. Gosh, it's probably like maximum 15 minutes away, but it's kind of like equidistant to campus or so. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the parish here, I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest in our diocese. Um, and so they're, they're a new guy. Um, one of our newly ordained guys is coming here. He's awesome. Actually, I'm very excited about him. Um, coming. Did you guys do ordinations already? Uh, no, no, we have, well, we did a couple, uh, we had like a, a circumstance for a couple, a couple guys that they did so they ordained two and then we're going to ordain uh six more in in june which is awesome hmm. um so so two two ordinations have happened um 
but it's just it's all like just the coronavirus stuff and yeah all that and um they were supposed to be today actually wow that's crazy mm. they were going to be today um but so not not quite yet it's coming coming up um anyway moral of the story so i'm leaving here as parochial vicar i'm i'm moving so i'll be the only priest at mother of perpetual help in maryville which i it sounds great man so people sound people sound great um there's perpetual adoration there which i'm super pumped about and we'll take over as pastor there on july 1 and then we'll still have the same role as chaplain um, at Newman on on campus. There's school at the parish. The the parish there's a there is a school. It's not just affiliated with that parish. Actually, three parishes like send into the grade school, and then also the the newer high school that you know like people from St. Boniface go to as well. Father McGivney Catholic High School. We the kids from MPH go go there as well. So I'll have involvement in both of those, like the grade school and the high school. As a director or just as a chaplain? Is somebody Ooh. in charge of that school in addition to the pastor? Yes. Um, so one of the other priests from like the other parishes is the new administrator at the oh, school. Sweet. Yep. So you don't have to do yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was specifically, I mean, this guy will do a great job who's, who's taken over. And actually the parish I'm going to, the, the guy who was there before me, like he was the administrator at the school for several years. Um, but it worked out, it worked out great. Both of, I, I think the, the guy who's taken over will do a good job. And, um, and I think, you know, it was, it's, it just allows me, um, you know, more, more freedom for, and time for, for Newman, for Newman and stuff, which yeah. is good. Yeah. So that would be a, a lot setup. a parish, a parish, a school and a Newman center. Gosh, dude, That'd be yeah. too much. That would be, that would be that would be a lot. That would be a lot. Um, you can do it. You just have to believe in yourself. Maybe believe I should. In your just, dreams. If I just tried harder and believed in myself, because that's what it's about. You know, anything's anything's possible. You can, yeah, you can do anything that you set your mind towards. Yeah, which is just, not true. If there's any negative people in your life, just cross them out of your life. You don't need that. <laughs> you don't need that negative energy. Don't. Thanks. Don't be negative to them because two negatives make a positive. Everybody knows right. that. Thanks, guys. And Thanks. listen to your heart. Listen yeah. to your heart. Live your truth. Man, I'm writing this down. I do need to live <laughs> my truth. <laughs> Dude, we're to... recording it. Just come back and listen to it. I will. Okay. I need to I need to live my I just need to live my truth. That's mm-hmm. it. That's Appreciate it. it. Um it. Yeah. But it's good, man. It's gonna be. It's gonna. It's a huge. Yeah. It'll be a. It'll be a big transition. Like it's a big learning curve. Um, but is this your third year? When's your guys' anniversaries, by the way? Uh, my because anniversary is Tuesday. Is Tuesday? What? It's Tuesday? Wow. Yours yeah. Is Tuesday. When was yours? That's Bisk? right. Wow. Uh, a week ago, the seventeenth. Congratulations, dude. Thanks. Yeah, six years. Six years. Oh I my can't. Gosh. I seriously cannot believe that. I don't know you're, why. You're a, you're not a newly ordained priest anymore, dude. No, I'm hardly even a recently ordained priest. Hardly. <laughs> yeah, man. Six years. Wow. Six years. I can't believe that. Nippers. Yep. So well, we're, we're on like season. Ago. We're like on season eleven of the podcast, so it makes sense. Are we, did we just go to season eleven? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I was. Dang it! I thought we were on season ocho still. 
Yeah, we are. We are on Ocho, okay, but we're going good. right to a, we're turning it up to eleven. I think I think a funny Whoa. thing would just to be just to be on season eight for the rest of the time we do this, even if it's like thirty years. I did. Just, I <laughs> thought about that as well, but not even season on. eight, just season Ocho. Yeah, the Ocho. The Ocho. I'm I'm also okay with that as long as our very last episode, which will hopefully be on one of our one of our deathbeds, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> then. Uh, I that episode is season eleven. Mm-hmm. Like we don't turn it up to eleven until our last episode. Until one of us dies. <laughs> until one of us dies. Can we do that, please? Sure. Should that be official? Dang. Great. I mean, I'm, as much as we can plan for that. Yeah, I'm down. Right. I know yeah, it's just kind of wild with the way show. that with technology operates. Like, there's no reason why we couldn't potentially do that. Mm-hmm. Unless I get blowed up overseas or something like that, you know. Oh, but, with my yeah. level of income and the pace of technology, it'd be crazy to believe that I wouldn't live to 250. Yeah, <laughs> well, come on. With modern science, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we could be doing this for millennia, you know? <laughs> my body is, is a microchip. <laughs> <laughs> the microchip has been compromised. Yeah, dude, they could put our consciousness in a microchip. And we I saw just... an ad for a new show that's I think it's called Upload or something, and it's mm. basically that like the afterlife is this thing is as you're dying they upload your consciousness into some cloud, and you have all of like human knowledge at your fingertips. Oh man, or your brain tips, whatever. He looked at me <laughs> and he said, "When you die, you will have full consciousness." I got that, so going, I got that for going for me. Which is <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, which is nice. So, so Rob, are are you at are you at all? Oh, do you want to keep going with that? Big hitter, the llama. The you know what he says to llama. me? Gunga, gunga, galunga. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the pitchfork up against the kid's neck. <laughs> I bet. I guess that scene was completely ad libbed, like I most of Bill Murray's stuff him. in that movie. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. What were you saying, Mets? Are you at all like? nervous about heading into these kind of big britches being a pastor or is it Um, more yeah yeah oh definitely definitely and not i don't think in a bad way um but you know it's just you i i say this from no experience i guess this is just my mentality going in but like you have to be willing to ask like when you don't know something you know um (laughs) And not to be passive, like not to just be, you know, kind of whatever goes or anything like anything like that. But it's just, um, yeah, it's just a totally different um, thing. And so um, that's good. I mean, you get that's why you have like good, good guys around you that you trust and everything and know who to call. Um, So, yeah, I think there's definitely some. yeah, I think humility and common sense go a really long way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, that's a great that's a great combo if you have those two those two things. Um but so I say that, yeah, there there is some nervousness, but I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to it. Like it'll be it'll be fun. Um yeah, it, it will be it'll be really, really fun. Uh, just getting to know no people and um being a priest is fun man it's um you know it's not that i mean you guys 
you guys know, I did not think that two years ago, you know, I did not think that this is where I would be going or doing, but it's good, man. Like that identity piece is, is so good. So I say that at least right now, like very, very peacefully. It's like, yeah, I don't know everything, but I know that I belong to Jesus. So that's a good thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So two years on Tuesday, which is crazy. It feels like forever ago. And like yesterday, man, I was looking at those pictures, Mets, when we were in, we were in France three years ago on that trip when right before you were ordained a deacon. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, which I was like, man, that one that either you or Porter sent, um, of the four of us in front of, uh, Arc de Triomphe, (laughs) which is so funny. Um, but, oh my gosh, I was like, man, three years ago, I was just this newly ordained deacon, man, loving, loving life, like gallivanting around the world with my buddies. Um, and then I, I literally thought about that and laughed because I was sitting in again, like very positive, like good, good week. Um, but you're just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, uh, just a different ball game here that we're talking about. But yeah, you're sitting in new pastor workshop looking at yeah, that man. photo. Yep. Yep. So yeah, <sighs> yes, definitely, definitely nervous, but um yes, confident in the Lord. Well, our lady of perpetual help, is that what it's called? Yeah. Mother of perpetual help. Mother of perpetual help. They don't know what they have coming, man. Yeah. <laughs> Look <laughs> out. Pray all for you that. mother yeah oh, big time mother of perpetual help listeners i know you're out there <laughs> y'all have got a tornado coming i'm assuming name. we have a <laughs> juice <laughs> that's why we've never we've never put your real name on this podcast we've always just called you juice so that when you do get a new parish they can't stalk you and find this yeah. incriminating stuff it's so they can't leave the parish yeah Oh, I've gosh. said too much. I'm going to an undisclosed location at an undisclosed <laughs> date. Like when uh, Ron Swanson like has his information form for the hospital and he just has everything like black markered out, um, you know, hands it to him. That's it. The juice is loose. The juice yeah. is loose. That's mm. awesome. Well, my two years will be in, let's see, about two, three weeks, three weeks, June 16th. June That's right. You were a late bloomer. I was a late bloomer. Yeah, Atlanta, we do it late. But our, our diaconate ordinations for transitional were supposed to be today as well. And they got bumped to the 13th of June. And our priesthood are generally pretty late. But yeah. <laughs> and I'll never forget looking at those photos from my ordination. Both of you clowns came down for it. That's right. And we made the diocesan newspaper. Y'all made the newspaper. My aunt lives in your diocese. <laughs> right. uh, my aunt Carrie, and she she sent me that. And it seems like every once in a while, it just me, you, and Rob and Bremer became the poster children for the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Like it's <laughs> yeah. not. It wasn't just then. It's kind of come back a few yeah, times. Yeah. No. It was such a good photo that they're like, "Well, this is." <laughs> this is what Atlanta is all about. And I, I've actually had, to, I've had some Atlanta priests text me and be like, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> they're not even Atlanta priests. And they're on the front ca- cover of the Atlanta newspaper. And it's like, 
support our priests and it's our picture. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. it also the picture used or commonly used for some big campaign from the bishop's office? That's yeah, was. that was the archbishop's appeal. I just remember it was, I mean, it was probably a couple months stretch that weekly, if not more, I would get some, I would get a picture of it from somewhere that Robbie Cotta was. And then oh just, my like, gosh. Him, like rejoicing and laughing that our our mugs were still just plastered in some church somewhere. <laughs> he, he loved it, dude. Yeah. Yeah, that was such a glorious time, man. I, I look back on ordination with it's just That was a great couple of days, your ordination. Remarkable. Very, yeah. very fun. Very so fun. So good to have you guys there. Two years, man. There's a lot that's happened in in two Fanny years. Fanny packs are back. Fanny packs are back. That's big. Yeah. Coronavirus. (laughs) Those are the two big things that we mentioned. (laughs) Well, not to mention mullets. I feel like mullets are coming back. Really? Oh. Did you see the... Oh, my gosh. My favorite character in the whole Michael Jordan documentary is the dude with the permed mullet who's his security guard (laughs) that beats him in the the quarters in the locker room. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It is a permed mullet. It's perfect. That's the 90s. Yeah. Not even. He was late. Like that, he kept going with the perm mullet later than it was still in style. You think that's that was eighties? That's eighties style. Definitely, man. Well, what have you learned in six years of priesthood, Connor? In only two sentences or less, you have to. It's like a tweet. Hmm. You have to summarize six years of priesthood (laughs) into two into two sentences. (laughs) Uh. Gosh, I have a couple of good aphorisms that I go back to a lot, but one of them is show up and don't run away. Mm. Um, one's a little cliche uh, from the movie Rudy. The priest says it. There is a God and I'm not him. Mm. Um, if I were supposed to sum it up, those aren't my insights. Those are both plagiarized. But <laughs> yeah, man, like the uh, the reliability of the truth of the gospel and of jesus Mm. and his presence and the fact that the sacraments are objective your character is objectively changed because of your ordination um but the bumping up against that of your or really the the synergy of that and your own humanity which is um beautiful in its uniqueness and personality, but also very wounded um, and in need of redemption. And like, this is the way that God is redeeming you, even as he uses you to sanctify others. Um, And in a way, if you weren't responsible for others, you'd be, you'd be a danger to yourself, you know, Um, that your life is really about God by being about other people. Um, so I'm not a done muffin as Kate Whiskus would say, Yeah, but I'm more aware of that than ever. <clears throat> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like it was okay. appropriate that you plagiarize your two <laughs> aphorisms. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's how kind we... of, that's kind of my MO. Well, that's kind of good, <laughs> good priests. This yeah. is don't do. yeah it's thievery yeah. imitation is the most sincere form of plagiarism 
<laughs> that was Jim Carrey. Even that was plagiarized. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. Mets, how would you sum up? How would you sum up after, two years ago? Uh, go, well, he said that after the Dumb and Dumber movie, they made a sequel, but it was two different guys, <laughs> and it was like not written or produced by the same people, and that's what he said. They asked Jim Carrey what he thought about the new Dumb... I think it was called Dumb and Dumber-er. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever see that? Yeah. But it was one of these crappy reboots. Um, what were you going to say, Roberto? Hijo de Juan? I was going to have Met summarize two years <laughs> of priesthood oh, in nice. two sentences. Oh, man. Can I do it with a long, drawn-out story instead? Yeah. If you, I mean, as long as... I'm assuming that it's just two sentences, though. It's just a long sentence. <laughs> two run-ons? Yeah. yeah. Dude, it's like... Uh, I know people will say this, but actually having to preach on Paul occasionally and like actually reading what Paul is writing to his people... Some of his sentences are insane, dude. Yeah. They're whole paragraphs. No periods. Whole paragraphs. Have y'all noticed mm-hmm. that? Yeah, Augustine does that too. The guy's a fiend. He's savage. I, he is. He's a savage writer. Dude, somebody um, somebody somewhere told gave gave Paul a, a sentence count that you know his letters had to be in. He said, I'll show you. <laughs> well, those, everything he wrote was dictated, right? Because even at the end of one of the letters, it's like, I'm writing this in my own hand. So he's, yeah. he's just dictating that. Yeah, maybe his crazy. scribes maybe, write. Wow, long-winded. Mm. Well, so I'll, do, I'll go in Paul's style and tell a long, drawn-out story in two sentences, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, this is to summarize two years of priesthood as well, all right? So I got to go to visit a nursing home here in my parish boundaries. It's super nice nursing home, dude. It's it's super nice, man. But it was during it's obviously during all the quarantine business, so I had to get special permission to come in. The fellow was on his way out, and I didn't really know much about him. And as I came in, they gave me an N95. Um, which didn't really matter because I have a beard anyways. <laughs> so yeah. apparently you, it doesn't. I'm surprised they let you in. Yeah. They've been very generous with us in, in matters of life and death. They wow. have allowed me to come in and visit folks. He didn't have Corona or anything like that. He was just incredibly mm-hmm. old. Um, and I, I really didn't know who I was going to visit. And on my way up in the lobby of the nursing home, I looked at their like wall of fame and it was all of these, it was just beautiful, man. It was like 50 different photos that were all of really old war photos of guys in uniform uh, in their military dress in the Navy and the Army who had fought in World War II, who had fought in Vietnam, who had fought in Korea. And it was them when they were really, really young and they were first entering into the service. And so they had all of their residents who had served in the military uh, with their old military uniform photos. <laughs> and so I look and I find my guy. I'm like, dude, my guy's up on the wall, man. Nice. So hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see this guy. It's going to be great. And and I'll, I'll, I'll ask him all about his service and, and get to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the military connection. So I take a picture of it and just a sharp, like studly looking dude. And I, I wasn't sure what war he fought in or how old he was or yeah really anything about him so i get up into the room 
and his son's in there and his son's, I don't know, maybe 60 or so, but he's laying in his bed and he's really hard of hearing. Um, he had had a couple of falls, but I think he's, he's 99, 99 years old. And he had been living on the, like, you can take care of yourself wing, the independent wing. He'd make his own food. He'd walk all over the place. He'd do all of his own groceries and run his errands and all these different things. I mean, he basically just took care of himself, was super fit, healthy. Um, and then he had a, a tough fall and it kind of spiraled pretty quickly. But I come in and it's just this, just this classic guy. And he's got a crucifix right over his bed. He's got his rosary on his desk right next to him. He's got all these like little devotional books. And he's got pictures of his family and all this. And and I start talking to him and uh, it turns out <laughs> this dude entered the military. So he's 99, which means that puts him smack dab in the middle of World War II. And he entered uh, as an officer. And he starts telling me all these stories about um, training over in Wales and then leading an infantry unit into France, like right after D-Day. And then plowing through France, through Belgium, uh, going through essentially the, like the fields of Europe, um, fighting for the United States. And, and he's just telling me all these stories and like that we lost a lot of guys and kind of reminiscing about a couple of different circumstances and situations in particular and, um, and shares about how much the military like really changed his life. Uh, and he was with the second infantry division and which is, uh, they call them the, the Indians. So their patch is like this big wild looking Indian. And he was so proud of them. And, and you could still see the pride that he had for his service and for the guys. And, and this guy's 99 on his deathbed telling me these World War II war stories. And, you know, I'm thinking like, I, I've been to Normandy. I've been to Omaha. I've seen those beaches and I got to go through Europe and, and like see these places where this guy did combat and fought, you know, however, 70 years ago, however many years ago, 80 years ago. And as we're finishing up and I'm listening to these stories, I, I you know, I, I just come as a priest and to actually let him know, I, you know, I said, thank you so much for your service. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually an army chaplain. I, I serve in the military. I know you can't tell because I got a beard right now, but, um, I go down and work with the reservists and, and I'll go active duty here in a little bit and kind of told him a little bit about my military career and said, yeah, I just, I serve up here at St. Mary's and then I go and, and work with soldiers once a month. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really honored to anoint you and to be here with you and uh, thank you for your service and like the Lord's going to prep you and just kind of tell him a little bit about Jesus. And so I got to anoint him and as we're finishing up, he turns and, and he says, you know, when I was in the military, um, one of my commanders told me that on my deathbed that a chaplain would be there with me and a chaplain would be there to anoint me. And he just looks at me and he goes, you know, it's funny how life has a way of working itself out. I'm like, oh, dude, oh gosh, what Boy. the heck? <laughs> and so I just sit there with him and his son's there, you know, crying and, and, uh, his dad's just utterly peaceful and mm. totally ready to go. And they just don't, they don't make him like that anymore. This guy was a gem of a human being, a gem for the United States, 
a gem for the church and a gem for Jesus. And like, it was, yeah, who can concoct that? Who can, so that's one of those moments where you're like, what, where, what am I? Like, where am I? Yeah. This is insane. I could never put myself in this circumstance and yet the Lord has, has led me here and allowed me to be a part of this beautiful moment. And I guess I, I say that story in the summation of priesthood because it's, I mean, that's kind of how it's felt in a lot of ways, um, especially with military service and um, serving at the parish and administering the sacraments. There's so many moments. And Rob, like you said, that that, that story at the beginning of the cast with uh, with your parishioners coming up in the rain during a international pandemic, like crying, receiving Jesus. You're like, I never you know, I'm running around France three years ago. I never thought this is where I'd find myself. And, and yeah, so I guess that's my, that's how I'd sum up two years of priesthood. It's been better than I can imagine in ways that I could never have imagined. But isn't that insane? That's pretty good, wow, man. man. This is very special. I looked him up and he's got a couple of uh, articles that they've written about him uh, just because he essentially was such a, an incredible guy and decorated military World War II veteran. Um, so he's kind of a local hero. And I had no idea. I had no idea. I like that, oh. uh, how matter of fact that is. You know, it's funny how life has a way of working itself out. Mm-hmm. Something kind of miraculous. <laughs> the fact that this guy prophesied, what, 60, 70 years ago that he would have a military chaplain at his deathbed. Yeah. And there, there you are. <laughs> this is happening right now. And yeah. if I, I mean, you know, I couldn't really tell, but for him, it just kind of seemed like, yeah, this is kind of what I expected. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like what? Cause he just expects that God's taking care of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not in a, not in a cheap way. Like he's dying, you know, he's had a hard life. He went through war for crying out loud. But that, yeah, having that confidence that God will show up for you through you, yeah. a total jabron. A total jabron, some have said. It, yeah. And that's where, like, I, you know, you just find yourself sitting in these moments thinking, who, who am I to be here? Are you yeah. kidding me? Mm. And they're like, thank you so much for coming. I'm like, thank you so much for letting me be here. Hmm. Like, are you kidding me? This is such an honor. This is a great moment uh, in my life because of the beauty of your life. It's actually increased um, the moment and the meaning for my own life, for my own priesthood, for me to be here. So thank you for living a full life, you know, because it's, yeah, it multiplies. It multiplies the lives of others around you. So his son's over there crying, and I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry, man. Like, you're losing a, a gym, a, literally a national treasure, and what seemed to be a very holy, peaceful man as well. So just a special moment. When was this? Yeah, maybe two weeks ago, something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I had a... Uh... 100 year old I ushered into eternal life last year two years ago 
is I was already here, but he was at my old parish and he was a daily mass goer, World War II guy. And man, never have I been more sure of somebody I'm anointing and doing the funeral for is in heaven right now. Like, no. and I want to behave myself more because he thought highly of me, <laughs> you know, and now he really? can see me. He's praying for me. <clears throat> Those guys. There's yeah, another dude. one who was actually his friend. He, she died before him. They used to sit together in the front at daily mass. And I called her, I might've mentioned her before Mary Grace. Um, and I went and visited her a bunch of times. She moved in with her daughter a bit North of where we were when she was dying. And, um, so I would, I would call her if I couldn't go see her and she was kind of losing it, but she would just sing songs to me over the phone, like hymns and things, or just wow. like old songs from the, from the forties and fifties. Um, there she is, her body's wasting away and she's, her spirit is just more alive than anyone I know. It's crazy when you yeah. see that. Mm. Makes you believe more. Mm. You know what I mean? That's, um, I, I preached on this on the Feast of St. Matthias, how, you know, they roll the dice. Like they, they choose candidates to take Judas's place, but then they roll the dice to kind of have, because it's God who ultimately has to choose who you know for this job this is not something you present yourself for and the, the gospel that day is it's not you who chose me but i who chose you and i came that you might or that my joy might be in you and my joy might be complete your joy might be complete and i, I was just thinking that i'm praying about that how where i felt the most joy is when i felt like i did not choose this i i couldn't and wouldn't have chosen to be here with these people at this time and it's kind of like when you want something for Christmas, but you don't really know what you want. You just want to be surprised and have it be something that you didn't even know you wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and only God is really good at that. Some people who really know you, really love you, can can get you something. It's like, wow, I never would have gotten that for myself. But like, man, just responding to invitations. That's why I almost got in the, especially when I was in the parish, I would like crave to be taken out of the office, out of like whatever I'm doing by a phone call. Be like someone, someone wants you to go visit them at their house or something like that. Like it was just, it was balm for my soul to just on a Sunday afternoon, like go bring communion to some homebound people. Cause you just go into a place that you never, you wouldn't know otherwise, you know, mm -hmm. and people and you just, God just shows up in those places uh that's cool man that's a great story to sum up two years of priesthood no yeah. well yeah. in fairness connor um rob how would you sum up two years um, he's not in two years until tuesday dude yeah <laughs> it's it's kind of inappropriate to say before i really know you know like um i would say that I'll sum it up in in a line, but and this is this kind of came together for me on that just the graces from that that eight day that I recently did a month or so ago, and I would say that um, the face of the crucified one is also the face of the risen one, and I just been I've been praying with that a lot of like the face of of Jesus and. 
it, it just helps, I think, talking about because suffering is so like present and um, real and but like not in faraway places, like in like right where you're you're at. And yeah, I mean, even in, you know, your own life and heart and um, and so um yeah, like just realizing, I think more and more that, um, like the crucifixion is not like, that's not a sad event, um, because of the resurrection. And so like you sit in that place, um, like with people and with, uh, with the Lord, but I don't know. I know that's a little, um, maybe, maybe abstract, um, just to kind of my own, my own prayer um but just like the peace amidst everything you know the the peace that jesus had in like in dying for for us and being with us then in in our suffering um it's it's like that that place that that garden or that uh um yeah just because of the resurrection like that's not a sad that's not a sad place. Um, so that's kind of what I mean by craving going to see someone in their home or more recently going to the jail, stuff like that is because you just learn like the places of success and comfort and, um, the places that are untouched by suffering somewhat, nothing is really untouched by, by suffering and death, but where you can kind of live in the illusion that, things aren't dying passing away Mm -hmm. um they seem they kind of get a little dry and boring and then you go to like the jail or you go to this nursing home and um that's where life is actually where the veil is thinner you know what i mean so like you're at the cross but you're at the tomb as well Mm -hmm. um the simultaneity of, of all the elements of the Paschal mystery of death, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost. Um, the way it breaks through into this world is through death and suffering, especially death and suffering that's accepted and, and received out of love, you know? Um, and even you are doing that by going to those edges. And I don't know if this is what your essay about going to a cemetery life on the edges is about, but it's something like that. Like the edges of existence is where we kind of should live as priests. Um, and it's just, it's a beautiful place to live. It's hard. It's kind of intense, but, um, yeah. Rob, can, can you say, can you say a little bit more about, um, about the cross isn't a sad place? I think that's a tough a tough thing to stomach. Yeah. Um, we well, I mean, it has to be like rooted in the reality of the resurrection too. Um, and that's, it, it's just, it's kind of, and again, like there's, I mean, there, is, I think there is a tension there because I, I'm fully like, believe of like yeah that jesus felt abandoned on the cross and like he experienced not only every like physical suffering but like emotional suffering and abandonment that humanity could kind of go to in that 
the barren language of like he goes to the limits of God forsakenness there. And so that he he knows what it feels like um, to to be an atheist in a sense. Um, but at the same time, like the tension there for me is that um, like Jesus is like he's also in control there. Um, and I don't know, there's just this like peace, um, with it that like, as you experience the fruit of the Paschal mystery in your own heart and your own life, it gives you the freedom to, to, to then go and, and be with people who are having to live it out in, in their life as, as well. Um, so I don't know. I mean, this could be a little off topic. We can come back to that if that doesn't flesh it out. But like, I, I've just found this has been so helpful to me. Um, and one of the things that I often like have a desire to tell people, especially people that are like trying to live a holy life or at least trying to grow in holiness, but um, are just struggling with with something and like kind of can't get out of a rut or lies or w- whatever it is, if they're honest. It, it's it's just kind of the basic distinction of like, hey, there's a difference between like a spiritual desolation and a dark night of the cross. Those are different things that like you can point out of like desolation. If you name it, like it often comes with like bite and accusation. And it's just like it's just Satan's playground, you know, in in that of how he can twist things and um, everything. Whereas the dark night. I just think the experience is way more common. This is a Stein thing, is that the, that experience is actually way more like common and accessible than we oftentimes think. I don't think that's reserved to like the spiritual masters, although they're the ones that like walk us through it, certainly. But it's this the way Stein describes it, it's like it's just this falling away of the senses, like to go down into this like darkness of of our own hearts and our own, our own lives and everything kind of falls away. And I, I guess I just relate to it in my life of things that I haven't really been able to reconcile, at least like with words or in like a worldly sense. So I'll, I'll give the example of Haiti Mets, which, you know, yeah. you know, well of like, I mean, the, the poverty and the suffering that we saw there is like, it is, I, it's still, it's hard to describe Um, but as you glimpse it and you see it and you're like, and yet like God is here and this place is like joyful and peaceful. Um, and I guess you, but you also experience that in like going to see someone on their deathbed in Illinois, you know, or Atlanta or, um, wherever, wherever it is. And so it allows like so much of that to fall away and to be able to say like, man, I don't have words for this. Like I can't explain this, but yet like I know that God is here and you don't say that like, it's not, you're not talking yourself into it, but like, you know, God is there in, in that place. Um, and that's so. I guess that the kind of drawing that all that back, um, which is probably way too scattered to draw to draw much out of. But it's like that's what I mean when I I say like I don't think the crucifixion is like a sad 
place. Like it's a beautiful place and it's a hard place. Um, but that's what love and beauty looks like. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. Well, and maybe this is a contribution to it. Um, a line from till we have faces was just kind of popping out to me. Um, I can't remember which character says it. Um, and maybe Orwell just narrating, but she says, uh, dark places. Why are, why are dark places always holy places? And I think Hmm. she's talking about the, uh, well, there's a couple of reflections going on. It's around kind of the, the darkness of, I'm pretty sure there's folks coming and offering up sacrifices or worshiping at that, um, like arcane type God in that dark room where they come and offer up incense. But it's also a reflection on the thickness and darkness of blood. And it's like these, these dark places are the holy places as well. Um, Which is a paradox, especially in a, especially in a religion that proclaims that God is light. Hmm. And like we experience him in light. That's a tough, even that phrase is tough. How are dark places holy places? Because God is light, and yet the light goes into the darkness to make it new and different. Um, yeah. But even, even there in that book, I felt like um, they're talking about sort of pagan, pagan, pagan sacredness, which is this dark, arcane, confusing, foggy, mystical place. Um, well, but I think they're also talking about the, I mean, maybe modern language would be the religious sense that people, yeah. right. Versus like the logical, rational, exactly, um, yeah, philosophical mind, which is all about distinctions and seeing clearly, um, the kind of apophatic going into the darkness is when you kind of go beyond that stuff. And there are two different sides of truth, but I, I think in Christianity, what you, what the revelation is, um, this Chesterton and everlasting man about the key that fits the lock. Like we were always looking for something that was both a story and true in the, in the logical sense, you know, that it would make sense of everything that is, but not in a way that was like impersonal, you know, um, but was a story and had that, that sense of like the mystery of the person that who God is, is not somebody that I can like dissect like a, like a science experiment and just say, this is why this is the way it is. There's some mystery there that the incense and the fogginess, that old religion was, and even Judaism in the temple was a bloody foggy religion. You know, it was just sort of like something's wrong with us. And the only way to get back somehow is through this death, you know, uh, and darkness. But then that, that light penetrates, that truth penetrates in the resurrection, I think. And that's maybe, some of what you're saying, I, I I think what you're saying is right on, Rob, um, and you said it well, but that idea of the resurrection is so indispensable because it it makes the place of death, the tomb, where the light starts, like where the source of light is in the world, is through um, these places of where everything in your being tells you flee from that, you know, go to go to comfort, go to the peace the world can give, um, go to some kind of satisfaction and don't, don't enter into this like longing that is so uncomfortable and often experienced as a dark night. Like 
when you're really honest with yourself and sit there like in an eight day retreat, you're like, what do I want? You know, mm -hmm. I have no idea. Um, I want something forever. Perfect. Um, something that this world can't give me. And then to live, to, to learn to live in that longing all the time. Um, that's what a saint is. Um, and it has the, it reminds me of, to bring it back old school, the movie Athos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's that monk who's at the very end of the movie. And he, in, in some ways, I, he's the most sympathetic character because he, you guys remember the movie at all? The guy that has the vineyard. Um, and he, he's sort of the most worldly of the monks. Um, but he's very honest about it, I think. But he's he's out there in a rowboat fishing with like a lead weighted net with this other old ancient looking monk. Um, and the voiceover is something like, you know, I've been out here for like 40, 50 years or something like that. Um, and it's a hard life, you know, it's a life of a lot of sacrifice and loneliness, but I've had two or three experiences that I never would have had if I hadn't been out here for so long or something like that. Basically saying that all of this renunciation, all of this sacrifice, all of this, like living very intensely on the edges, um, yielded like two or three epiphany moments that are worth are worth more than going back into the the city of man and enjoying the things the world can give like only only at the edge could i have seen what i saw mm. and that's worth it um i don't want to do that i don't want to live on athos but i'm glad that somebody does because <laughs> that's at least somebody's accessing that you know what's what's available to our humanity it's crazy yeah and kind of going back to what you said bisk is like even hearing that story and you kind of put some other words on on that it's that it's already like making me recount in the memory in the memories of a couple years as a priest or whatever of like yeah, and those moments that at least I initially like relate to the effective movement of hearing that are the ones that like were both so simple and totally unorchestrated by myself hmm. of like just little like gifts from from God of like huge epiphany moments that could look like any other moment, but like they're the ones that it's like wow that's worth it. Like that right there. And not in the same way he's talking about it. Um, but I was just thinking back to like when you were saying of, yeah, like going the balm for your soul of going and like giving communion on a Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah, man, like that doesn't make sense unless like you encounter God there. Yeah. And it, it's interesting hearing you talk about it um because in a lot of ways like a, a lot of the stuff that you said is it's just intense <laughs> it's really intense the face of the crucified one is the face of the risen one and you know just a, this notion that yeah like the cross is actually a beautiful place that you want to dwell in the place where god died 
that's intense. And yet there's something about um, how you say it, just your tone. It also probably communicates deeper than the words that you speak, but that it's not a sad place. That your tone is actually, it's, it's not one of loss or despair or mourning, but that it's, it's a place of, of new life, you know? And so it's like, wow, the words that you're saying are very hard. Go and die with Jesus. That's intense. And yet to say it with like a type of joyfulness, I think, I don't know, that embodies some, something about the priesthood there and something about your priesthood, I'd say. Mm. Don't look at it, Miriam. (laughs) What's that? It's from Indiana Jones, man. Oh, yeah. No, Baron used to always just say that. Don't look at it, Miriam. Uh, he, he would always talk about the desire to look with our eagle eyes and to dissect everything with our scientific minds and to see it precisely. But that's why he loves incense, because it fogs your vision and it doesn't allow you to mm. look directly at it. And grasp God. Don't yeah. look at it. Like that Faulkner story, The Bear. You talked about that in Doctrine of God? Yeah. You know, the only story I read by Faulkner, um, The Sound and the Fury, was... Legendarily difficult to understand. Horrific. It was... (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I Man, I was lost. My dad recommended it to me. I'm like, yeah, Faulkner. Your dad liked it? I don't think he's ever read it. He just said, well, here's some of his famous works and Sound and the Fury. It is the most insanely confusing and disturbing story. Yeah. It's messed up, man. And I listened to it on audiobook, like the first half of it, and then I read the rest. And no joke, like the first half of the book is stream of consciousness mm-hmm. from a um like a mentally disabled uh I don't know if like what exactly he has, but Uh, It's just stream of consciousness from a mentally disabled kid and like what he's seeing around him. And to open up an audio book with having somebody just saying random words to you about colors and people and trying to make sense of that was awful, dude. (laughs) I'm not I'm not a Faulkner fan because of that. It was such a bad experience. Yeah. Read the bear. It's actually pretty good. It's a short story. I I read it. Well, and and we read, read it with uh, what well, and w- went through it with Baron. Yeah, he's obsessed yeah. with that thing. Mm-hmm. All right. How about a little? Uh... <laughs> That's what we needed. <laughs> Man, cut it. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.
Spanky dogs. Spanky dogs. Good girl.